Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is Saturday. We have reached December the 18th of the year 2022. Exactly one week, seven days away from December the 25th, which is Christmas Day, the pagan holiday chosen by man as the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, look, I love my Lord and Savior. I don't mind celebrating him, but I celebrate him every day. But we really don't know. There is uh, no biblical writings telling us when Christ was born. So we really don't know. But it's not a bad holiday. But I just wanted to say without raining on someone's parade that it is a pagan holiday because of the fact that we don't know when Christ was born. We don't know the day, we don't know the month. We don't know if it was cold, we don't know if it was hot. And if you do, send it to me so I can do some research. Okay, now with that said, uh, I will be sharing um, one of two final episodes by Dr. Price from his Race, Religion, and Racism epic series that he started back in 1997. Yes, we are down to the two final episodes. And next week, maybe Christmas Eve, maybe Christmas Day, I will uh, continue to share my series that I started entitled A Faith That Surpasses All Understanding. Now, with that said, let's get this truth on the road. Uh, I am continuing on teaching on the subject of race, religion, and racism. We are definitely at the very end of this series. been a long series. I trust that you've gained as much out of it as I have in terms of the information that I researched. Been an education for me. And uh, so the ground rules for this series, which have been all the way through from day one, the ground rules are if you decide to write me a letter, whether a positive letter or a negative letter, it is absolutely mandatory if you want me to read your letter, personally to read it, that you have to have your full name and return mailing address on your letter. I, w I personally will not read any letters that do not have your name and return mailing address on them. So those are the basic ground rules. And uh, if we follow those rules, everything will work out very smoothly. It's, it, it has all the way through the series. And I think uh, in part because the Lord directed me in the very beginning to give those ground rules. And so it's, it's cut down on a lot of unnecessary confusion. Now, uh, we're in the last and final segment of this threefold series, Race, Religion, and Racism. And uh, we're in the sec segment on religion. And last time, I gave you some, I think, very interesting information about uh, biblical characters in reference to their ethnicity. Now, 
Again, I want to preface this particular teaching today by saying it's easy to say that it, it doesn't matter what the ethnicity of the people in the Bible was. It, it doesn't really make any difference. But you see, that's only because if, if it makes a difference, then it, it may upset tradition. And it may put a different complexion on things the way they have been perceived historically in terms of the last 2,000 years of the church age. I think it's important because I believe that God knew it would be important because God is the one that put it in the Bible the way he did. Now, I didn't write the Bible. I know you didn't know that. But I just thought I'd give you that little bit of free information. Fred Price did not write the Bible. And uh, God did. And I would think that, that God would have to have, I've said this many times, but I, it'll bear repetition, I, I, I think that God would have to have at least as much sense as I do. Now, he couldn't have any more than me, obviously. I mean, all he could do is create the universe and sustain it and keep it running, so he couldn't have any more than me. But I think we would all be willing to at least uh, assent to the fact that God would have to have at least as much sense as me. And so I would not put nonsensical information in a book as important as the Bible. In other words, I wouldn't put things in there that would be misleading at face value. I wouldn't put things in there unless they had a purpose because God is a God of purpose. And so consequently, if he puts something in the book, in his word, then there is purpose in it. And it's up to us to have the spiritual uh, foresight to check it out so that we can understand what his purpose is. Now, last time we found out that there were people of color in the Bible. And I, I, I've alluded to this before, but I, I think it's important to, to say it again and perhaps even to elaborate on it a little bit more. There are more people of color on the planet than there are people that we would call not of color. Okay? There are more darker-skinned people planet-wise than there are what we would call light or fair-skinned people planet-wise. So I think that it's probably important to God that everybody on the planet that becomes a Christian understands that God, the Creator, doesn't have an ethnicity problem. And obviously, since God is only as smart as me, and not smarter, He would have foreseen the racism problem, the color, ethnic, prejudice problem that would come down the pike, as it were, in human history, and especially... He would be aware of the fact that this thing would raise its ugly head within the context of his own church that he gave his own son to redeem and give his life for. So in order to diffuse the possibility of that ethnic stuff having an impact on his church, which is supposed to have an impact on the world, and therefore that impact would be diminished 
if there were internal strife within the body of Christ itself. Okay? So, God, I believe, put things in the Bible so that we would not stumble over the trickery of Satan in infiltrating the church with this business of ethnicity, color, identification, all the rest of the garbage that goes along with it. The problem with the church has been that the church has not read the Bible. The church has really not read the Bible because all those scriptures that I gave you last time, God didn't just put them in the book last week. They've been in there ever since the Bible was written. Are you following me? But we went, I mean, we walked right over it. Incredible. Because preconditioning can blind you to present truth. Now, primarily I'm dealing with the American church scene because that's what I'm actually a part of. We're, we're, all of us are part of the body of Christ worldwide. But from a, from a geographical point of view, from a nationality point of view, then I am an American and I am in America. And so I'm in the church in America and I would have the greatest degree of experience basically in this church Environment And in this church environment, there's a problem with this business of race and color. We've talked about it all the way through the series. So I thank God in order to, to cut down again on the possibility of this being a problem for the church so that the church wouldn't be a problem for the world. The world is messed up the way it is because of the church. See, I've said it before. Jesus said we're the light of the world. Or should be. He said, we're the salt of the earth, or we should be, but we haven't been that to the world. And consequently, it has allowed Satan to have free access to a great majority of the citizens of the world for evil and not for good. All because the church has been so involved in infighting and throwing up such a negative portrayal of unity that the rest of the world says, why do we need to become a part of the church? We can be prejudiced without belonging to the church. I can be racist without going to church. I don't have to get baptized to be racist. You know, and I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to go to church in order to have a superior attitude towards others and a negative or inferior attitude about other people. Now, having said all that, we covered last time the fact that, that there is a black or color presence in the Bible. And if God put it in there, then he must want us to know about it. Or why would he have put it in there? Now, last time we found out that Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was black. Now, most Christians didn't know that. I'm talking about black Christians, white Christians, red, brown, and yellow Christians. They didn't know that. I, as smart as I am, and I say that with a great deal of humility, you know that. And as many times as I've read through the New Testament, I never saw it until I did the study on this series. Because I'd been brainwashed by the society. I had been conditioned like Pavlov's dog. That when I would see disciples, I would see white. The bell would ring, I'd see disciple, white. Disciple, white. 
prophet white. It was a conditioning process. All my life I've been in this environment. And so when you look at a thing, instead of seeing what's there, we have seen what has been programmed into us. Well, it's over. Now, let's go on to something else. Acts chapter 13, if you please. Now, I, I said this in a limited way before, but, but I want to say it again because I think it's very apropos at this time. <clears throat> My purpose when I was doing this research was not to find out that black was better than white was better than black was better than brown was better than red was better than yellow. That was not my purpose. My, my purpose, and I believe that the Lord led me to do it, was simply to get the facts and lay aside the fiction. The fiction being everybody in the Bible was white except in some specific cases where it specifically called them, for instance, like an Ethiopian. You wouldn't call Ethiopians white. But apart from that, we didn't hear anything else about it. We didn't know anything else about it. So, we, I always assumed everybody was white. All the Bible pictures, all the historical pictures, all of the artwork, everything about Christianity down through the years basically has always been white, especially what's been portrayed in our country. So... I was searching to find out, since, since people of color are the majority people on the planet, and they couldn't, have, they couldn't be that without the Creator, then there must be a space for us. That's all. There, 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 there must be a space for us. And in this country, we've been led to believe both whites and blacks that blacks didn't have a place and didn't have a space. Now, again, this is not so that you will feel better than someone else, but just so, as I've said so often through the series, so that you'll just feel good about you. That's all. Instead of having the stereotypical idea of yourself that has been pushed off on us by the society that we are not as good as, that you would just have a biblical perspective of yourself. Now, the black folks need it, but so do the white folks. Amen. In other words, whites need it, blacks need it. All colors need it. But I'm, I, being that I'm black and had to go through this black experience here in America, uh, it's a different experience if you're black than it is if you're a brown, red, or yellow. I mean, everyone has their experiences. Don't misunderstand me, and I'm aware of that. But you ain't had no experience until you've been black. <laughs> Not in this country. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry I have to say it, but you, <laughs> you don't know nothing yet till you've been black. I think I told you about this book. This would be a good little homework assignment for you to do. Check up. I think I... I, I did, didn't I talk about this? Um, oh, I talked about this. Uh, goodness, as well as I know the man's name. Black Like Me. Thank you very much. Black, black Like Me. This was a white man that had some treatments done so that it darkened his skin. And then he went throughout the South and he found out what it was like to be black. 
And he said, it ain't good. And he was never so glad to get back to being white. Now, so again, we need to have empathy for one another. Since I'm your brother, you're my brother, you're my sister, and we are going to spend eternity together. I'm going to be living on your block. And if you're having a problem with me now, can you imagine the kind of problem you're going to have throughout eternity? So we ought to learn how to adjust and get along now. See, all this life is a preparatory for the future. This is school. And a lot of us are getting F minus grades. We are not getting a passing grade. Because, see, you're going to be the same as you are when you get into the kingdom. Don't think that because you die and go to heaven that you're going to be any different. You're going to have your same personality. God is always going to be a God of faith. Don't think, don't think he's going to stop being a God of faith just because this world find, where Jesus finally comes back and brings the kingdom here. You think there's not going to be any faith? Faith is a law. Laws can't go out of existence. Not laws that God has set into motion. We're still going to have to walk by faith. We're still going to have to live by faith. And we're going to still have to live on this earth. It'll be renovated and brought back to its Edenic state like it was before Adam's sin. Well, you're not going to live in heaven. You're going to live on earth. Now, you may go to heaven temporarily until Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. But we're going to be on this earth. Forever. So, you might as well be getting used to me, my brother. I'm getting used to you. <laughs> so, if we can't deal with it now, how are we going to deal with it then? See, wh what do you go to school for? You go to school to learn so that when you get out of school and go out into the real world, you're supposed to be at least academically equipped to deal with the world. Isn't that right? Well, that's what we're doing in the church now. We're learning how to deal with, should be, learning how to deal with one another. Instead of that, we have been ostracized from one another. By false teaching and by lies that have been perpetrated by Satan through the very agent, the very organism, if you would, that should have been bringing the truth. So we're going to find out a little bit more. Acts chapter 13. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So, then it lists who these were. Now, verse 1 again. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I pointed this out before, but it's something, as you read the Bible from now on in your life, as we've gone through this series, I hope you'll be careful and aware of noticing that whenever God mentions somebody of color, he always mentions their pedigree. In other words, he always mentions where they came from. With other people, he doesn't. Because he knew they weren't going to be the people that had the problem. 
they weren't going to be the people that had been beaten down for so long that they needed an uplift, if you would. Not a facelift, but an uplift. Now watch this. Notice, now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, all he had to do was say, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, because that doesn't say anything about ethnicity. But notice it says, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Why didn't he tell us where the other guys were from? Cyrene was in North Africa. Very possibly that he was a person of color. Now, notice the first man, or second man, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, we want to spend a moment or two with Niger. Now, in Strong's Concordance, Mr. James Strong defines the word N-I-G-E-R, Niger, as follow. Under number 3526 in Strong's Concordance. So you can go check it out. Number 3526, I quote, Niger, or N-E-E-G hyphen E-R, Niger, or Latin, of Latin origin, the word Niger, black. Niger, a Christian Niger. End of quote. The word Niger means black. So this man, Simeon, was a black man in the church at Antioch, and he was a prophet and or a teacher. That meant he had a position of some degree of authority and anointing. Now, verse 2, as they, who is they? Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Who sent them away? Simeon. Lucius, Manian, they sent Paul away, Barnabas and Saul. So that meant that a Niger, a black man, laid hands on Paul to send him out on his ministry to minister and set up churches. So he had a position of authority. This man was a black man. It's interesting, if you go look at the map of Africa, they have rivers right in the heart of Africa called Niger. Now, now where, you, where do you think they got that? You, got, you think they got that from Paris, France? You, you think they got that word Niger from Norway? Maybe Sweden. And I don't mean that unkindly, just to focus our attention. Where do you think Nigerians come from? The Niger River is in the... Land of black. You remember that? Egypt, Africa, Niger. This man's name, Simeon, was a Niger. In fact, they called him black. Because notice what it says, Simeon who was called. 
Niger. So they called him Niger. Isn't that interesting? All right. Let's go to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Oh, my, my, my. Acts 21, verses 30. Verse 30. Well, let's see. Now, it's a long story here. I don't want to read it all. But if you'll remember, Paul had finally come back to Jerusalem and uh, they persuaded, the church persuaded him to go with some other brothers into the temple and uh, go through some uh, orientation, as it were, for a period of time. And, and then they found out that Paul was there and that he had a, uh, a, a um, Gentile with him and the religious people stirred up the people to think that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple. So they rushed in and grabbed Paul took him out, they slammed the doors of the temple shut, and they were about to kill Paul. And the Roman uh, man in charge of the Roman garrison there at Jerusalem came down and rescued Paul. Uh, let's see, verse 31, let's start at verse 31. Now, this is the 21st chapter, verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, that is Paul, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who it was, asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Now, now, if the commander asked him that, Paul must not have looked Greek. He must have looked like something else entirely different from a Greek. And that's why he said, can you speak Greek? That'd be just like me asking this man. Now, he might be able to do it, but you know and I know that this is not the norm. Can you speak Russian? No. I mean, you just don't walk up to a black man in America and ask him, do you speak Russian? Okay, now follow this. I'm leading up to something. Verse 37. And as Paul was about to be led into the barrack, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian? Uh, 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 uh. Are you not the Egyptian who sometime ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Now, how... Why would the centurion ask him, aren't you the Egyptian? I mean, even if, even if 
Now, let me find somebody that I know so that they, I know they won't get their feelings hurt. Let me, let me. Okay, I'll go over here. I, I, know, this, I know this person won't get their feelings because some of you I don't know. And I can't I'm already in enough trouble so I can't take a chance on this. All right. Now I know Julie. Now, even if Julie put on African clothes, you following me? I would never mix her up with an African from Africa. And I'm not talking about South Africa because basically the white folks in South Africa don't wear those kind of clothes that we wear in Nigeria and Kenya and those kind of, the kind of long draping flowing clothes. Okay, so don't, don't try to throw that on me because I've been to South Africa. Johannesburg. They look just like you all dress just like this, just like that, just like you. Okay? But I would never make that mistake. I don't understand how this centurion, because first of all, he asked him, he said, can you speak Greek? So it must not look like a Greek. And then he said, aren't you that Egyptian? Now, why in the world would he ask a white man? Because Paul was white. <laughs> well, all this went, I always thought he was, what they always told me. Why would he ask him, are you an Egyptian? Then aren't you that Egyptian? I mean, see, he, whatever the man, whatever Paul looked like, he didn't look like he was Greek. And therefore, he didn't look like, like he could maybe speak Greek. And the centurion said, can you speak Greek? It'd be just like me asking Jimmy, can you speak Chinese? <laughs> Don't even try. <laughs> he said, bow wow. No. So here's the point. How do you mix up an Egyptian with a Greek with a Caucasian? Now remember, Egypt, we looked at it in the Bible. Egypt was called the land of what? Land of black, land of ham. That's what it's called in the Bible, the land of ham, and ham was black. So why did this man mix up Paul With an Egyptian. Interesting thought. Paul was mistaken for an Egyptian. Now go to Exodus chapter 2. Something to think about. Can you speak Greek? Exodus chapter 1, 2. Ah, Exodus chapter 2 and verse... Now, this was Moses after he had killed. You remember he got in, he thought that his people should have understood who he was and understood who he was. And two, uh, two Israelites were in an argument. Uh, Moses tried to separate them. And then, and, and they said, well, you will kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday. And so Moses fled. You remember that? And so he went into the wilderness and he was finally ended up in Midian. Okay. And he came and delivered the daughters of Jethro from the other herdsmen and allowed them 
to water their flocks. Just making a real long story very, very short. But anyway, um, it said uh, here, let's look at uh, the second chapter, uh, verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Ah, Exodus chapter 2 and verse... Now this was Moses after he had killed... You remember he got in, he thought that his people should have understood who he was and understood who he was and two, uh, two Israelites were in an argument. Uh, Moses tried to separate them and then, and, and they said, well, you will kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday. And so Moses fled, you remember that? And so he went into the wilderness and he was finally ended up in Midian. Okay? And he came and delivered the daughters of Jethro from the other herdsmen and allowed them to water their flocks. Just making a real long story very, very short. But anyway, um, it said uh, here, let's look at uh, the second chapter of verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. Egyptian? Moses was mistaken for an Egyptian. They said an Egyptian. Now, also remember this. That in the story in Egypt, when the Pharaoh put out an edict that all of the male Hebrew children were to be killed, and Moses' mother and sister took Moses and put him in a little makeshift boat, put him in the river. And then the, daughter, the, 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 the sister went to be sure that the queen would see the little boat. And the upshot of the thing was the queen took Moses into the house to become her son. You remember that? Now, we've always seen all of those, everybody in there was white. Right? Everybody was white. But now, what I don't understand is that if everybody was white, Moses was white, then Moses' brother, Aaron, was white, then Moses' sister, Miriam, was white. So, I don't understand how do you turn white people white? Because Miriam was stricken with leprosy and they said she was white. If she was made white, what color was she before? So I could see why Moses might be mistaken for an Egyptian. Because remember, it was 430 years that the children of Israel were in bondage and servitude and slavery to the Egyptians. And remember that Moses brought and led the children out of Egypt by the hand of God after mighty signs and wonders. And Moses didn't enter to his ministry till he was 80 years old. So that meant there was still 300 and some years of amalgamation of Hebrews and Egyptians. And don't think that the Egyptian didn't take those Hebrew women for their concubines and their sex play toys. Just like the white slave masters down in the south took our black 
forefathers and foremothers and made them their slave toys. And that's why you got this great variety of black folk in America. You got them from Snow White to Jet Black. Where'd that come from? Inner, inner mixing, see? And so there's no doubt about it for 300 and some years, almost the same amount of time here in America, that those Hebrews and Egyptians were mixing up. And it's very probable that Moses might have come out a color other than. Because there has been a deliberate cover-up over the years of the value and the accomplishment of African Americans in the realms of science and technology, I think it would be very educational, revealing, and inspiring both for blacks and whites to know that blacks have made significant contributions to the development of the United States of America. Amen. See, there is a perception, there is a perception that black people have made no positive contribution to this nation. None whatsoever. About the only exception to that is Booker T. Washington, And the, what's the other one? George Washington, Carver. George Washington Carver. Those are about the only two that the whites allowed to get into our history books. Now, there are a lot of others, but you have to find out outside the ordinary historical books that are written for our school children. Those are about the only two. But brother, sister, we've got so many. And I, I say this because not only do black people need to know this, not to feel better than anybody else, but to feel good about themselves. But white people need to know it so that they can feel good about black folks and not think that they're a liability, even though that's what has been purposely orchestrated to make it appear that we are worthless, that we're a drain on society, that we're the problem that the society has. And if you could get rid of the black folk, then you wouldn't have crime it's kind of like, it, it, they make it appear like all crime is black-oriented black yeah. crime. The only reason for that is because that's the only kind they show you on the news. Basically. Basically. That's, that's purposeful so that you can paint a picture negatively of black folks. It's like welfare. If, if you listen to the news, the only people on welfare are black folks. And you white folks need to know there are more white people on welfare than there are black people. You need to know that. But they don't ever get covered. That's never portrayed. It's always like it's the black folk in the ghetto that are the problem. It's called scapegoatism. So we need to find out about ourselves. I think it would be very educational, revealing and inspiring, as I said, for both blacks and whites to know that blacks have made significant contributions to the development of the United States of America. Many times our negative attitudes about people is fostered in part by our ignorance of their achievements. We tend to look down on them because we believe that they have made no significant contribution to our country and to the ongoing of civilization. I would like to call this segment of our study... Do you, did you know? 
Do you slash did you know? That's the, the whole title. Did you, do you slash did you know? Question mark. In the book, African American First, it's the title of the book, African American First by Joanne Potter with Constant, Constance Clayton. Joanne Potter, P-O-T-T-E-R, with Constance Clayton, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, published by Pinto Press, Elizabethtown, New York. Copyright 1994 by Joanne Potter. Not ancient history. We find some very interesting facts about African Americans that neither blacks or whites are aware of. See, if I look at you and I think you've made no contribution to civilization, I have a, I, I would, it's very easy for me to have a tendency to look down my nose at you as though you were not really, you know, productive, that you're just a, really a drain on society. You and your folks have made no contribution to civilization, none to our country, and that's a lie. Premeditated, purposeful lie. And they're still basically teaching this garbage in the schools now. Number one, who made the first clock in America, in the American colonies? In 1754, Benjamin Banneker, a black man. You find that on page 233 in African American First. Number two, who designed the first automatic lubricator in 1872 Elijah McCoy patented his first invention an automatic lubricator for machinery Elijah worked for the railroad and he was a man what they used to have to do with these big trains that the trains could run only so long and they'd have to stop, then the men would have to come out and oil the machinery, oil the wheels and the bearings by hand. He developed a methodology by which the wheels were lubricated, the moving parts were lubricated automatically. He's a black man in America in 1872. He acquired more than 50 patents in his lifetime. Have you ever heard the term in your life, the real McCoy? Yeah. Well, that term came from this black man. What happened, you know, people will pirate inventions and ideas from other people if they're not patented. Or even if they are, they'll try to change it a little bit so that it looks different. And so what happened when Elijah McCoy came out with this invention and he got it patented, the railroads and many machinery manufacturers began to use it. Well, what happened was his method was so awesome that, and it worked so well that others, as I say, tried to copy it. But people who were smart and knew that there was a difference, whenever they would get buy a piece of machinery and the salespeople would tell them about how it was automatically lubricated, they would always ask, is this the real McCoy? That's where the term, that's how it started. Is this the real McCoy? They wanted to know, is this the stuff that was invented by and patented by Elijah McCoy? That's where the term, the real McCoy, came from.
Who invented the first railroad telegraph system? In 1887, Granville T. Woods patented a rail telegraph system that was designed to avert accidents by allowing messages to be sent between moving trains and between trains and railroad stations. Woods, who became known as the Black Edison, had secured more than 60 patents when he died in 1902. He also invented the third rail that is still used in subways today. That was invented by a black man. You didn't, you didn't find that out in school. They didn't tell you that in school. Excuse me? Amen. On page 241 and 242 in this book, African American First, under number four, who invented the first machine to make a complete shoe? In 1883, Jan Matzleger received a patent for the first lasting machine. That's the machine that puts the top and the sole and puts them together. That used to have to be done by hand. This man invented a machine that would turn out a complete shoe. Black man. On page 241, under number five, now you ladies will appreciate this, and, and some of you will be absolutely shocked out of your socks. I mean, you'll be shocked out of your pantyhose. Well, women do wear pantyhose, don't they? Did I say something strange? Well, how many women have on pantyhose? Don't, don't, I, I'm joking, I'm joking, 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 joking. Joking, 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 just wanted to get your attention. The first ironing board was invented and patented in 1892 by an African-American woman named Sarah Boone, B-O-O-N-E. She received a patent for an ironing board. She had devised a narrow wooden board with a padded covering supported by legs that could be collapsed. Before Boone's invention, people just stretched something out over on a, on a table or between two chairs or something like that. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Can I get amen here? Honey, I remember that. Wait, I mean, wait, wait, I mean, I remember that. Yeah. People ironed on tables, on boards laid across chairs, all kind of different ways. Some of you modern, these modern women, they don't know nothing about this. Though. Anyway, on page 242, number six. Now, let's get a little more technical. Let's get past ironing boards and, and shoe-lasting machines. Let, let's get into medical science. Because surely black, ignorant Africans couldn't know anything about medicine. All they know is about witch doctors. Things like that, right? Wrong. Who performed? The first open heart surgery in 1893, an African-American doctor named Daniel Hale Williams made history. When James Cornish was stabbed in a bar brawl in 1893 and sent to Provident Hospital, 
Williams used an innovative technique to save his life. Without the aid of x-rays, antibiotics, or blood transfusion, the gifted surgeon made an incision in Cornish's chest and stitched up the wound. The patient recovered completely and the amazing operation made Williams famous throughout the country. On page 242 and 243, under number seven, who invented the first traffic light and gas mask? First traffic light and gas mask. In the early days of the automobile, traffic was controlled by a policeman sitting in a little tower at intersections, manually operating stop-and-go signals. This all changed when Garrett A. Morgan, after seeing an accident between an automobile and a horse-drawn carriage on a busy street, invented and patented the first automatic traffic light in November 1923. In 1916, Morgan came to public attention in a big way. Now, I, don't, I almost don't want to read this because this will show you how entrenched this racism is and has been in this country. This is sick. Y'all have air sick bags with you? Yeah. I hope you have air sick bags. With you. This, this is really sick. Tell me we don't, we don't need to deal with this mess. Listen to this now. In 1916, Morgan came to public attention in a big way when, using a breathing device he had invented two years earlier, he took part in a dramatic rescue. A disastrous explosion had occurred in a tunnel below Lake Erie, trapping nearly 30 workers. Morgan and his brother, wearing his newly invented device, which he called a safety hood, went into the smoke-filled shaft and pulled the workers to safety. When they heard about the rescue, fire officials around the country placed orders for the safety hood. But many canceled the orders when they learned that Morgan was an African-American. Rather die than let it be known that a black man helped me get save my life. I know what you mean, sister. At this point, the army saw the value of Morgan's invention, made some improvements on it, and the safety hood became the gas mask that saved thousands of lives in World War I. On page 245 and 246 under number 8, who set up the country's first blood plasma bank? I don't think you learned that in your, in your ghetto history class. I mean, some of you know, but you didn't, you didn't learn that in your regular ghetto history class. Don't tell, don't tell me that. Uh-huh. The first... Blood Plasma Bank was set up by Dr. Charles R. Drew, black man, in 1938. Won a research fellowship and went to New York City to do graduate work at Columbia University. While there, he developed techniques for separating and preserving blood and determined that plasma 
could be stored much longer than whole blood. In 1939, Drew was instrumental in setting up a blood plasma bank at New York's Presbyterian Hospital, the first of its kind in the country. Black man. Do you, did you know? On page 246 and 247 under number nine, who was the first neurosurgeon to successfully separate Siamese twins joined at the head? You guessed it. A black man. A, listen to this. Appointed director of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins University Hospital in Baltimore in 1984 when he was only 33 years old Dr. Benjamin S. Carson became the youngest person in the country to hold that position. He soon made medical history. In 1985, Carson performed a medical procedure known as a ah, hemispherectomy. Rec, rec, something anyway. H-E-M-I-S-P-H-E-R-E-C-T-O-M-Y. My doctors could do this. Hemispherectomy. Rectomy. Anyway, something with the hemisphere, that's the brain up there in the head. I, I spelled it right anyway, you know I didn't pronounce it. Excuse me, Dr. Carson, my ignorance. All right, uh, removing half the brain of a four-year-old girl who was suffering 150 seizures a day. The other half of her brain took over all function, and the girl went on to grow and develop normally. Amen. Carson made news again in 1987 when he led the medical team that for the first time in history successfully separated Siamese twins joined at the head. Black man. An ignorant Niger. Now here's a little something you didn't know. A little sporting thing. On page 251 under number 10, who was the first jockey to win the Kentucky Derby three times? A black man. A black jockey. You don't even have any black jockeys today. See, at first they put the black boys on the horses so that if the horse was wild and bucked and threw the jockey off, the white boys wouldn't get killed or hurt or injured. Now, once horse racing began to make money, they weren't going to let them black boys make that money, so they crowded them out and they no longer were jockeys. See, some of you can remember this in certain places in the city and the country. You go out and you see people's lawns and they have this little miniature statue of a jockey. See, you might have thought that was a put-down. That was not a put-down. That was the fact that in the beginning of horse racing in this country, all jockeys were black. And this jockey is out of time. <laughs> Well, Saints, as you heard, Dr. Price said he is out of time. So that's the end of this episode. Uh, next week, I will resume um, a faith that surpasses all understanding. I am exhausted today, Saints, but I had to keep my word as it relates to sharing information about God. And yes, although Dr. Price is talking about uh, race, religion, and racism and the contributions of black people in, um, in this country and not just this country, but in history period, it's all related to God because when racism was perpetuated throughout the church, it was perpetuated by white ministers. So look, 
Y'all are those who know me know I'm not a racist. Those who know me know I love everyone because the love of God is shared abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for me to dislike anyone or hate anyone. Now, there are some people who I am uncomfortable around and don't want to be around them, but it has nothing to do with their ethnicity and it has nothing to do with their skin color. It has everything to do with their character. So saints, with that said, I will see you guys next week. And until then, walk in love. Peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth dot cd at gmail.com if you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign dr camla d that is at dollar sign capital d lowercase r capital c lowercase a m a l e capital d and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D, serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, And I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.